1 Corinthians chapter 4. And as we open there, we studied the very first two verses last week as we were culminating chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. But it's so important here what Paul is teaching us as a church, as a people of Christ. And he's warning us now, and in, in from chapter 3 into chapter 4, to ha- not have the mentality or get caught up with the wisdom of the world. How many times have we tried to compare ourselves with the standard that the world tells us? With the standard of what now we are learning through just social media, through culture, through our time, everything that the world tells us to. And it's interesting enough here now, Paul tells the church of Corinth, don't compare yourself to the world's standards. In fact, compare yourself and, and draw conclusions and evaluate your life based off the Word of God. And today we have titled the message, Serve God and Be Humble. <laughs> Serve God and Be Humble. What does it say now in verse 1 and in, in verse 2 of 1 Corinthians? It said, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it's required in stewards that one would be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by human core. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness, and will reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's man's praise will come from God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. We ask, Lord, that you would deliver it, God, through your spirit, God, in such an anointed manner and fashion. I pray, Lord, if we're struggling today with identity in what success means, what wisdom means, what the world tells us that our life has to look like by a certain age, how much money we need to make. Lord, I pray that we would put all that aside so that we can be found faithful in your eyes. In Jesus' name, and together we said, Amen. Amen. You see, it's so important that we read this scripture and really understand it and learn it. Because what good is it, and we talked about this last week, what good is it to be a success in the eyes of the world and a failure in the eyes of God? If there's somebody that we're interested in, someone that we want whose opinion really matters is God's and not the world. So we as a church should not be driven by man's opinion, by culture's opinion, by the world's opinion. But what does God have to say about you? In the very first two verses, he says, if you want to identify as something, identify, number one, as a servant, and identify also as a steward. A servant, we know it's an underroar in a galley slave ship, where he's just rowing now the boat. He has no say. He follows order without hesitation, and he only answers to him who is above him. That's what a servant here is talking about. Now, a steward is one who manages someone's household, and has to give an account to what the Lord has given them, or to what their master gave them. We asked ourselves last week at the end of the message, are we being a faithful steward of what God has given us? 
Because in verse 1 and 2 it says it's not uh, a, a, uh, now a, uh, an opinion. It's not now a suggestion of a servant and, a, and of a steward. But it is a requirement. It is mandatory. It's an obligation that stewards be faithful about their obligations. And today I want to ask you, have you been faithful with what God has placed in your hands? Faithful with your marriage? Faithful with your time? Faithful with your resources? Because when you're faithful with, to God first, you're more than likely going to be faithful to everything else in life. When you're unfaithful to God, you're un- going to be unfaithful to everything else that's taking place in your life as well. You see, he doesn't say that God is requiring men of faith or women of faith to be used by God. No, if you want to be used by God, it doesn't require just that you would be a man or a woman of faith, but that you would be faithful to what God has called you. And it doesn't matter at what capacity. Maybe to be a father or a mother, to raise your children, to go to work at a specific profession and be a witness for God there. Or to be faithful in ministry, faithful in your Bible reading and your devotion to God and your prayer. But God is looking for faithfulness. We sometimes think God is looking for results. And God is not looking for results. Results are up to Him. God is looking for faithfulness. You see, in order to be faithful, as we pick up in verse 3, to be faithful means that you must be focused. And I want you to remember that if you're faithful today, that means you must be focused in what God has called you to be. You know what the big reason why a lot of people don't finish what they start, why they don't, they're not completely faithful to the call of God in their lives? Because they become distracted. And when you're distracted, you can't be faithful. You're either going to be distracted or you're going to be devoted. You're going to be disciplined or you're going to be full of regret in your life. And you choose today if you're being faithful to the Lord. You choose today if you're going to live to please God. One of the things that we have to understand that you can't live to please everyone else. You cannot live to please everyone else. You will never please everyone else. The only one that can please everyone is God because He is all sufficient. He's the only one that can please everyone. We're called to please one and that is the Lord. We're not called to please everyone or to get the validation and the approval of the world. We're called to obey God and to be faithful. And it says here in verse 3, But with me it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. When talking about faithfulness, the world was looking at Paul and saying, Paul, he is foolish. All the, all the Christians that follow Paul and they are embracing the cross and they have crucified their flesh and their passions and their desires, they are foolish. In the eyes of the world, the cross is foolish. In the eyes of the world, the Christian, the church can be foolish. But here he's going to tell us, if you want to be wise, then you have to be willing to become foolish in the eyes of the world. Because I want to be wise in the eyes of God. And here he's saying, I living, I'm living to seek to please only Him. And in verse 3, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by human court. You know what he's telling them? It doesn't really matter what you think about me. It doesn't matter what society says about me. It doesn't matter what any human court or man's opinion or man's standard. I'm not seeking to please you so that it's a very small thing in my life. I don't let that control me. You know, it's so sad that people are in bondage of others' opinions. And they never are able to please the Lord or serve Him at the capacity they're called them because they're too concerned of what are people going to say about me if I seek to please God in this area. 
Oh, man, I'm going to give up drinking. What are my friends going to say about me? Oh, man, I'm going to not party with the friends that I was partying. What are they going to think about me? Are they going to think that I'm lame? Are they going to think that I'm, I'm, I'm foolish? Are they going to still like me? And that's the problem, that we want to be liked. You're not living to be liked by man. Here Paul is saying, I am not here living. I'm not here placing myself in a position of a servant and a steward so that I can be liked by you. And it's a, an amazing thing when you are released from the bondage of the validation of this world. I'll tell you, there have been times in my life where I struggle. What are people going to say about me if I start a Bible study in my house? They're going to think I'm crazy. What are they going to say about you if we, if we start to give away our furniture in our living room to let people come in? It's going to seem ridiculous. But guess what happens when you start to release yourself from the opinions of man and say, but what is God going to say about me if I don't do that? But what is God going to think about me if I don't obey Him? You're not here to please people. You're here to please God. And whatever God has called you, whether it is to raise your children and the way God's called you to raise them, whether it is you to be a leader at work or at home, whatever God's put you, the position that He's placed you in, you are not there to please people. You're there to please God and seek to please Him. You think we think about human court or human standards, and he's saying, in fact, I don't even judge myself. He said, I don't even take a, a, an evaluation of myself because I don't trust my own judgment. <laughs> See, their judgment doesn't matter because I'm doing God's will. I'm doing what God called me to do. I'm not of this world. But not only that, I don't even trust my own judgment, my own evaluation. I am careful with that. You know why he's careful with that, Paul? Because he's taking the humble road. See, the road now to Calvary, the road to being faithful to God is one that you carefully take. What did, what did Paul tell the church? Walk circumspectly, walk carefully. I don't even trust my own judgment. So I am walking very carefully because I know that I can be wrong in my own eyes. Have you ever been right and everyone else wrong? <laughs> Well, you know what? All of them, my family members, everyone is wrong. I'm the right one. Everywhere I go, man, I'm the only right one. See, I don't know what's, what's wrong with this world now. I'm the only one that's right wherever I go. Maybe you're the one that's wrong. <laughs> and we have to understand this. That we cannot validate ourselves even in our own eyes. Because that's not what makes you right before God. It's what, he, what you are doing before His eyes. You see... We have this thing in our culture, in our time, that it's all about self and selfishness and ego. Where we say, there's nothing wrong with that. I don't see nothing wrong with that. Nobody can, it doesn't matter if you see nothing wrong with that or not. What does the Bible say about it? What are God's standards about it? Doesn't matter if your friend doesn't see anything wrong with that. Doesn't matter if your boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife don't see nothing wrong with that. Does God see something wrong with that? In fact, he's saying, I don't even judge myself because... My evaluation, my standard can fall short still. My standard, your standard, our standards will collectively still keep us short from the standard of God. Because we're sinners and in our nature, we will fall short of God's standard. That's why we need His standard. And it says, for I know nothing, know of nothing against myself. Yet I'm not justified by this, but He who judges me is the Lord. You know what he's saying here? He's being very careful. In fact, in verse 4, he says, I'm blameless in my own eyes. Isn't that us? We're blameless. I know nothing against myself that I'm doing wrong. However, that's not what justifies me. Just because you're not doing something that is wrong in your own eyes, that doesn't mean that you're right with God. 
And Paul knew that specifically. He's saying, I, I know nothing in and of myself that I'm doing anything wrong. I, I know that I'm blameless. However, that, that standard, that qualification, that requirement that I think of in and of myself, that doesn't justify me. Justify means that doesn't make me right with God. My own perspective, my own judgment, my own evaluation, my own standard, my own do's and don'ts do not make me right before God. And I think sometimes we have a lifestyle, we say, this is a, a, a morally living lifestyle that I'm doing and practicing, and this makes me right before God. Well, Paul here tells us, and he says, you know, my judgment of me doesn't make me right with God. He's the one that's going to judge, and He's the one that's going to examine me. He's the one that's going to evaluate me. What's important is that I'm right in His eyes. In verse 4 it says this, For I know nothing against myself, yet I'm not justified by this standard. But He who judges me is the Lord. And today I want you to walk out of, stand up from the seat of judge, and never again sit there because you are not the judge, God is the judge. And if He's the judge, we're going to be held accountable to God. With the decisions that we make, with the values that we carry, with the moral standard that, that we are holding ourselves accountable. He's saying here in verse 4, my conscience is clear. <laughs> I, I'm good. <laughs> what is that the, isn't that our favorite line? I'm good. I'm going to go to heaven because I'm good. That is it. You, you being good doesn't make you right with God. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't prove that I'm right. It's the Lord Himself will examine me and He will decide. He is the judge and nobody else. He is the judge. In verse 5 it says, Therefore judge nothing. See the word judge right here, it doesn't mean to only discern. It doesn't mean to make a decision. But judge here, the word that He's using, it means to evaluate. Judge here means to examine. It means to investigate in someone else's life. Man, that's what we are. Man, we're professional investigators sometimes. Somebody comes to church and, and you look at them and, or, or at work and you look at them and you think that they're off just because of the way they look. Right? We're professional evaluators. But who said that we're the judge? See, there's a problem here and he's telling the church of Corinth, stop coming with the world standards and judging now the apostles, their lifestyle, the way they're serving, the way they're being a steward of what God has given them because you are not the judge. And in verse 5 it says, Therefore judge nothing before the time. What time? Before the time where God will open up the books, before your works will be tested, as we studied in chapter 3. Judge nothing before the time where God, on the day of judgment... We're seated right there. We're standing right there before the judgment seat of Christ. Judge nothing until He judges us. Until He evaluates and examines us. Because verse 5 tells us, until the Lord comes, like we saying, right? Until He comes, for the time until He comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart, then each one's praise will come from God. But does the Bible tell us that there is a specific time where me and you will, yes, die here. This is just a shell of the life that we're living in. But one day, we are, our soul is going to be transferred to eternity. And we're going to stand before God and He's going to evaluate. He's going to investigate. He will examine our heart and our works and our counsels and our motivations. And He will bring the darkest secrets that we ever had to light and reveal and expose our motives. And the counsels of the heart. That day He will reveal our integrity and our character. And each one's praise will come from God. 
That's what really matters. Your praise comes from God. Now I want us to take seriously this verse 5. Because sometimes we get caught up with the world and say, you know what, everyone likes me. I'm doing good. I'm getting the pat on the back. I'm getting the attaboy. I just got promoted. I must be doing pretty well. But what does God have to say about you? What is your character, your integrity, your motivation, the counsels of your heart, your intentions and your motive reveal about godly character and integrity? You know what I love about this verse in verse 5 here? Because it says that God is going to bring that darkness and reveal it and bring it to light. Those deep things in our hearts. You see, we love praise from man. But what about praise from God? That's what, that praise that really matters. And then we have to ask ourselves, after we know this, are we ready to answer to God with our life? Are you ready to answer God today with your, about your life? Are you ready to answer Him about your heart and about your mind? If you had to pull out everything in your heart and in your mind now, and all the dark secrets and pull them out and, and expose them to light, you before the Lord, will we be ready to receive from Him and be held, be held accountable? Because it says that that day our praise will come from God. The New Living Translation says this, so don't make judgments about anyone ahead of time. Isn't that how we do it? We Ahead of time we start to judge people before we know, we jump to conclusions. We see something taking place, we automatically judge that person. Don't judge anyone ahead of time before the Lord returns. For He will bring out the darkest secrets to lie and He will reveal our private motives. And God will give to each one whatever His praise is due. He will give to each one whatever His praise is due. You see, we should be interested in what's important to God. Because what's important to God should be important to you. What is important to the Lord is important to us. And that's how we remain faithful because we're focused on the things that are important to God. You see, your identity, and He's reshaping the identity here, the crisis now of integrity that's taking place. There's a crisis here. He's reshaping their identity that, that they wouldn't know. Your identity is not in what the world says about you. Your identity is in what God has said about you and He's called you a child of God. And that's what we have to understand. Sometimes we want to find an identity by the world standards and what they say about me, what, how they judge me, how they evaluate me. Are they going to accept me? Are you concerned if somebody else is going to accept you when you've already been accepted into the family of God? And he's having them measure themselves by God's word instead of by the world. I love that story in the Old Testament where Samuel, the prophet, went to look for a king. And what did, what did Samuel automatically want to do? He started to look and say, you know what, who looks good to be the king? Man, that guy looks good to be the king. You know, he's tall, he maybe looks good. And, and, and no, it has to be this one. He, he absolutely fits the description of when you think about king, that has to be the guy. What did the, what did the Lord keep telling Samuel, the prophet? This is encouraging to me. He, the, the, he told the prophet, says, do not look at his appearance or his physical stature. I'm so happy that there wasn't a height requirement to be a pastor. <laughs> he said, don't look at his physical appearance or his stature. Because I have refused those that are attractive to the eye standard in the world. For the Lord does not see as man sees. Are you, are you thankful today that, that God doesn't see the way man sees? If God, if God saw the way that man saw, I, I, I'll tell you, I would be crushed in my heart and in my spirit. But aren't we so thankful that God, the Lord, does not see as man sees? For the, Lord, for the man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks where? At the heart. 
And that's what he's saying here, Paul. Essentially, God is looking at the heart. You see, God is looking at your heart today. Where is your heart? Is your heart given to the Lord? Are you fully invested in the Lord? I love what Oswald Chambers said. You are as intimate with God today. You are as intimate with God today as you choose to be. You are as intimate with God today as you choose to be. And if you feel that He is distant, you feel like, oh, well, God is distant, then ask yourself, who moved? Because I'll tell you, He didn't move. Maybe you moved away from Him. You are as intimate with God today as you choose to be. You have the option to be close to the Lord. You, you can make the decision today to say, you know what, I don't want to be close to the world and to the standards. I, be, I choose today to be intimate with God. You know how it feels to be intimate with someone? Man, it feels safe. It feels secure. It feels like you belong in that space of intimacy. It feels comfortable. It feels comforting. You're as intimate with God today as you choose to be. In verse 6, now he says, Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sake. You know what I love about what Paul does? He, he, he doesn't say, I'm only going to talk about this. He says, I'm also going to show you with my life that I really don't mind what the world says about me. I'm just going to be faithful to God. And you know how he says this? I've transferred it over to myself and to Apollos because we are both the church leaders here. And I want you to look at my life as a model projecting Christ. Imagine if your life was a projector, what would people see? What is the movie? If, you, if, you're, if your soul became a movie, what kind of projection would people see coming out of your life? You think about that. Because I said, I have applied these things, I have transferred these things figuratively, figuratively on me and Apollos for your sake that you may learn in us. You know what he said? I'm welcoming responsibility. And I know this, that someone is always watching. You want to be an example, then know that someone is always watching. Someone is, no matter where you go, someone is always watching. It doesn't matter where you are, people are watching. There's been times where I've been driving around. And, and my wife tells me, are you, are you at a gas station right now? You know, and I, how do you know that? <laughs> are you following me? She said, no, my friend just saw you. And she said that she saw you here at this place. You know, or, or uh, you know, I, at one time I remember that I was, uh, you know, working construction with my dad and, and, and we were working at a far place, uh, far from my house and we went to grab a lunch at, at this particular moment in time and I walk into this restaurant and lo and behold, my mother-in-law is right there standing in line. And it kind of got me to think, you know, what would have happened? Should I have been dabbling with things that I should not be? Someone is always watching you. Understand that as a Christian, someone is always watching you. And I love where he's going with this because he says here now in verse 6, For your sake that you may learn. That word learn right here, it means that you may here be discipled. Learn means disciple or discipline a skill. Build a skill here. Learn a skill or be discipled. How? In us. Not to think beyond what is written or beyond God's word then none of you may be puffed up on behalf one against the other. What is he going to say? I'm willing to be the projection. I'm willing to be the model. I'm willing to be the example. Someone is always watching. I want you to learn in my life. I want you to look at my life and learn to not think of yourself beyond what you really are. That is the biggest problem when we start to think that we are bigger and better than what we really are. You know, don't be wise in your own opinion, Paul tells the church in Romans. Do not be wise in your own opinions. In fact, associate with the humble. 
How many times do we think that we are too good? He says, do not be proud. Do not be puffed up. In verse 16, that you may learn, it says, not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf one against the other. You know what puffed up means here? I want you to be discipled, he's saying, that you will not be puffed up. Puffed up means that you would not be inflated or have an inflated, elevated view of self. You know why they were, had an inflated and elevated view of self? Because here in Corinth, it was all about philosophy. It was all about education. It was all about the world's standards. And some of them thought, we've arrived because of our education, because of the status and social uh, quo that we have met, right? And so, so we're better than other people, and, and they're lower than us. That's the worst attitude you can have. We should never use the standards beyond God's word to judge anything, to discern, to evaluate anything. You see, when, when the Corinthian Christians started to use unbiblical standards to judge one another, it was very easy for them to like one over the other because they were using the world's standards. When you use the biblical standards, you're going to love everyone. There's a problem with this in pride and selfishness. When you use the world's standards, he says, not to think beyond of yourself because what does it say here in verse 16? When you're puffed up, you start to be behalf one against the other. When you become puffed up, somewhere in that puffing up, somewhere in that inflation, somewhere in that elevation, pride begins and division starts right away. Division starts right away. That's why a lot of homes are broken because of pride. That's why churches are split because of pride. That's why in the workplace we can't get along because some people think that they're too good. Other people think that they, they, they don't have to do certain things. No, we have to learn humility. For the Corinthian church, for the Greek culture, they thought they were so wise that they saw humility as a sign of weakness. I want to tell you today that humility is not a sign of weakness. Humility is actually a sign of strength. Because it says that you're depending upon God. And sometimes we're too scared to be humble because we think that others are going to take advantage of us. But no, here he's telling them, it's okay to be now humble. Our true strength is found in understanding. Your strength is, is, is found in understanding that you are a weak person. That is your biggest strength. Understanding that you're a weak person and that your sufficiency and everything that you have it, it is found in Christ Jesus. You know, for Paul, it was a certain thing that took place in his life. He called it a thorn in his flesh. You see, it was a, a, a physical predicament and an infliction that God had allowed in his life, that the enemy was pressing upon his life, and God allowed that so that, to keep him humble. This is amazing. I, I think of so many situations in our lives that, that we try to fight away, and God is saying, wait, I've permitted that in your life, because I want to keep you humble, and I want you to trust me. And, and we see it take place. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 10, Paul tells the church in the second time he writes to Corinth, says, unless I should be exalted above Nazar, I don't want to exalt myself above what I should be. I don't want to put myself on, on a pedestal that I should not be on. It says here, exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, and a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. He, he has given me now a thorn in my side, a thorn in my flesh. You know how bothering that thorn in his side was probably? It was a, a physical thing that was probably taking place. But the Lord has allowed it to buffet me. <laughs> Man, you think about that person. Well, that's my brother right there. Or that sister. That's my thorn in my, my side right there. God has allowed that person at work maybe so that he can buffet me. <laughs> what does it mean to buffet something? 
to clean up, to shine up, to make it better. And it said here, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And He said to them, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I'd rather boast in my infirmities. If something is taking place of physical infirmities, I will praise God for those physical infirmities. If I'm going through pain, if I'm going through sorrow, if I, if I need some more endurance, I praise God for those things because it's the power of Christ that may rest upon me in those moments. Therefore, I take pleasure. But think about his attitude. I take pleasure now in infirmities here, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. You know what that says? Anything that God has allowed in your life, what has He done it for? He has done it so that you can keep, to, number one, to keep us trusting Him. And to keep our lives being shaped more to the image of Jesus Christ. To where we look to Him and depend on Him and not on ourselves. The worst place in your life is when you stop depending upon God. Because you think that you, in and of yourself, you are self-sufficient. We are not self-sufficient. Verse 7, it says this, Now for what makes you differ from one another? What makes you better than somebody else? What do you think that makes you better than, than your brother or your sister? Why do you come with such a hostile, bad attitude? Differ from one another. And what do you have that you did not receive? Everything that you have, it was given to you. So why are you boasting about it? Now, if, if indeed you receive it, why do you boast as you have not received it? Do you ever remember about somebody in your life or, or somebody that maybe got a car or a house or a job and, and, and instead of being proud of them and they're bragging about it, what do you say? Oh man, their dad gave it to them. How are you? Why are you bragging about it? That was given to you. Or well, what do you think? Well, you know why you're bragging about your promotion and if they just like you, they gave it to you. You know what he's telling him that then, now the church? Everything that you have was given to you. So if it was given to you as a gift, if you don't have to work for it, if it had nothing to do with you, it was a gift, then why is it that it's, you're allowing it to make you proud? It, it sounds nonsensical. <laughs> if it was a gift, then you have no right to be proud full of it because God gave it to you. And, and if God gave it to you, then why do you brag about it? See, we, we have to understand that there is nothing good in us. There is nothing good of us except what we receive from God. And once you understand that, that nothing is good in me, nothing is good about me, unless what I receive from God, because it's His grace, His mercy that fills my life, that I don't have to be prideful about it because He gave it to me. And without the Lord, I'm just a wretched sinner and that is lost, that is living a life in lies and in darkness. But when I realize that God gave it to me, then I realize also that just like He gave it to me, listen up here, He can also take it away. <laughs> and I, I think sometimes we forget that. So we become proudful. Oh Lord, you know what? You gave me all this because you think that I was qualified for it. No. It's because He chooses to use you. He chooses to use the weak, the, the foolish. He chooses to use now, what does it say, the, the, the Bible here? The faithful in verse 1. You see, there is nothing that we have in and of ourselves that we have not received from the Lord. Why should we boast about it? Whether he gives it or takes it away, Lord, blessed be your name. And, and, and these three questions that he's asking us should prompt us now to ask ourselves three follow-up questions. Knowing that I've gotten everything from the Lord. Do I truly give God credit for everything that I have? Do you give God credit for everything or do you want to take some credit? You know, there is no limits to what you can do if you didn't care about who got the credit. 
How many times have, oh, I'll, I'll do that, but you know what? Then they're going to say that, you know, they, they, it was because of them. They're going to get all the credit. Who cares who gets the credit? Let God get all the glory. Let the Lord get all the glory. I'm so concerned about credit. You know, like, like you wanted to, to give you, like God has you on some kind of, you know, this, this rewards program that, that one day He's going to tell you, you know what? You know, you, you get all the credit right here. Let Him get all the credit. In fact, it also prompts you to ask, do I live with the spiritual and humble gratitude? Do you live with, number one, giving God the credit? Number two, do you live with a spirit of humble gratitude? Do you live with the spirit of humble gratitude? Do you live with the spirit of humble gratitude? God, I am so thankful for everything you've given me. I'm thankful for my, my family. I'm thankful for my wife, for my children, for our church, for my salvation, for your grace. When you have a humble gratitude, it would change your behavior and everything about you. Think about what would take place if you woke up every day and you said to the Lord, thank you for my wife <laughs> or thank you for my husband. Would it change the way you talk to your husband that day? I, I bet you it will. Because you are approaching that day grateful that you have a husband and a wife. Or thank you, Lord, that I have a job. And instead of driving to that job so upset that you have to go there, thank you, Lord, because you provided a job. Some people don't have jobs. Humble gratitude for what He's given you. And seeing that I've received everything from God, now what can I give to Him? Seeing that I've received everything from God, everything I have is from God, then what can I give to Him? How can I use what He's given me to glorify Him? Verse 8, you are already full. Now He's being sarcastic here with them. You're already full. You're already rich. You think you're all, you've arrived. You've... You have reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I wish, I could wish that I did reign, that we also might reign with you. Look, he's, he's being so sarcastic. You think that, that you are all rich and that you're wise and you've arrived. You think you're so important. You think you're so smart and arrogant. You know what he starts to rebuke here in verse 8? He starts to rebuke now selfishness, ego, the celebrity mentality. And he's rebuking the core of pride. And I think that we need to be rebuked in those areas of our life constantly with the Word of God. Where, Lord, rebuke my ego. Because my ego will not let me honor you. My ego wants to honor me. My ego wants to honor me. But, Lord, I want to honor you. And I will make that conscious decision. Today, we were talking with the men earlier this morning at 8. And we decided, you know, we, we, we talked through Scripture. And we said, we're either going to honor our ego or we're going to honor God. Which one are you going to choose? Are you going to honor your pride or are you going to honor the Lord? And it says here in verse 9 now, For I think that God has displayed us. I think that God has displayed. This is the reality now. You that think that you're rich and you're wise and that you arrived and you have you building your own little kingdom. You think you're a celebrity now. He's talking to the Christians here. They think that people, that you matter now. It's so sad when, when pastors and leaders and in churches, they, they start to brand themselves to get a following. How many followers do you have? I don't, we haven't any followers, zero followers. They're all followers of Jesus Christ. That's, that's what they are. They're followers of Jesus. But in verse 9 it says, I thank God that He has displayed us, the apostles, last, comma. I want you to underline that. Please, if you want to be a servant, if you want to stay humble, if you want to be faithful, it says here, He displayed the apostles, comma, last, comma. He displayed us last. Here, as a man condemned to death or as prisoners... For we have been made a spectacle or a public spectacle now, a public humiliation to this world, both to angels and to men. You know what he's referring to here last? Now what he's telling us here? Paul is saying here, we are like 
prisoners of the Lord. You see, in a, in a public spectacle now, or last prisoners or condemned to death, he's referring in verse 9 as to now Roman, the Roman military that would take now into the Colosseum as we know it now. They would take the Colosseum after they came back from winning a war or a battle. They would take now the first their armies first. They would take the spoil or whatever they want after, and then they would take chained up last the prisoners that were condemned to die in that Colosseum and that they would die. And in fact, those gladiators that were coming to die would come and express and yell out, Morturai Salatumas, which means this, we who die salute you. You know what Paul is doing? He's saluting the Christian church and saying, Here, I am on the road now to Calvary, I'm paying the cost. I want to be the example. I'm denying myself. I'm playing the role of a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ to death to self. This is amazing here. Now, what a picture. Because now Paul salutes the Corinth Christians and saying here, I have been dedicated to the Lord completely. And it says here now, we've been a public spectacle to the world and to angels because wherever we go, we know that his angels are there watching us. When we want to rebel, his angels are watching us. When we want to, you know, uh, talk back or have a battle to his angels are there and they get nervous. <laughs> Just think of these are God's children and to man, we have been made a public example now. Verse 10, we are fools for Christ's sake, comma. This is amazing. We are fools for Christ's sake. We don't, if the world wants to call us a, a fool, then we are a fool. We're a fool to the world's standards because we want to be wise in, for Christ. But you are wise in Christ. That's what you think you are. We are weak, but you are strong, you would think. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. You know what he's giving them an example of what life to take and what life to live. Because sometimes we want to be honored. We're, so, we're fighting for honor, fighting to be recognized. We're fighting to, to, to have an image that's attractive to the culture of success and the culture of the non-believer. Recently, the church has done this. The church is saying, how can Christians look too, so cool that the world wants to be a Christian now? <laughs> God never called you to be cool. God called you to be obedient and faithful. And He's saying, you, you might be, look all honored and distinguished and, and all of that, but look, at we have been made a spectacle of just a prisoner where we are weak, where we are dishonored, where we are foolish to the world. Are we willing to be foolish in the eyes of the world so that we can be wise in the eyes of God? Wise in the eyes of God. I want my validation, my approval to come in the eyes of God and, and for us as a church together as well. Verse 11, to the present hour. And I want you to remember this from verse 11 to 13 as we finish today. To the present hour, to this time, we both hunger. If you're going through tribulation or trial, know that that is exactly what the Lord sometimes will allow to keep us trusting in Him. Tribulations and trials are no more for the Christian believer. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, but cheer up, I've overcome the world. He said, you want, you, want us to, you want us to teach you what it means to be a servant? It doesn't mean to be a celebrity, be comfortable, have everything catered to yourself. Here, the struggle is real now, He's going to tell us. <laughs> Sometimes we share with our, with our friends, and our, man, I'm going through it, man, right now. The struggle is real. Well, He tells us here from verse 11, the verse 13, that He's real, a real person with, with real needs. He's going through it as well now. But that's the way that he's, uh, he's doing it so that he can be an example that for Christ's sake, he's willing to do it all. In verse 11, it says, To the present hour, we both hunger, we thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. 
Man, think of these are the leaders that are writing these letters. We're suffering, we're hungry, we're poor, we're homeless, we're being beaten. We labor working with our own hands. You know why he says that we labor? It means to work to the point of exhaustion. The Greek here culture thought that if you work with your hands, if you build construction, that was for a peasant. That's for a slave. We're much more important than that. We're orators. We're public speakers. We're philosophers of the time. We're leading the way when it comes to education. You say, no, we're working with our hands. You think, you think, you think that you're too good to work with your hands? You think you're too good to get your hands dirty? Let me tell you, we need to be willing to get our hearts, hands dirty to see hearts clean. When was the last time you said, I'm willing to get my hands dirty so I can see hearts clean? And it says here, we labor with our hands, working with our hands, being reviled. We bless. When people talk bad about us, we pray for them. <laughs> Just think about that person at work or maybe family member, they're talking bad or whatever it would be. We pray for that person. Being persecuted, they're coming after me. I'm their target. It says here in verse now 12, they're persecuted, we endure. We're patient with Him. We tolerate. Endure means we tolerate the abuse like Jesus did. When those that talk bad about us, we keep a humble attitude and we pray. When those that curse us, we're patient. Those that abuse us like Christ with that conduct and, and that mentality, we will keep it a conduct and a mentality of kindness. Being defamed. Well, man, isn't that what we are so concerned about? Defamation of character. Oh man, you, you, you know, you're def- defaming my character. You're, you're ruining my reputation. You're ruining my image. The only image that you should be worried about is, is being more like the image of Jesus Christ. This is being defamed. We entreat. What is, it, what is it he's telling us here in verse 13? Being defamed. We, we appeal gently when we are defamed. This is we, are, we have been made as the filth of the world and the obscuring of all things until now. You want to know what it means to, to follow the Lord? We have been defamed and we have been treated like the filth and like the worthless of the world. But guess what we do? We love people. We love people in the midst of it all to show them Jesus. And He's teaching them to be humble, to serve God and be humble. Romans 12, 14 through 15, it says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Have a heart of compassion. When you elevate yourself, guess what? You're never going to be able to come into contact with people and serve them. Have a heart of compassion. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Let's pray today that our opinion of self would be one that's saying, I'm going to love people till, till the cross. I'm going to love them till the road of Calvary. I'm going to love them until the end. Jesus, what did it say as we were studying this morning for the servants, that He, now knowing that the end was coming, that He was going to go to the cross, He loved them to the end. Are you willing to love people to the end? You know what it takes to love someone to the end? The end is the cross. The end is Calvary. That's the finish line always. To start there and to finish there. And the only way that you can do that is that you humble yourself, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow Him. And sometimes we want to be popular. We want the middle road. We want little popularity, little reputation, a little bit of honor from the world. And then we still want the anointing from God. It doesn't work that way. We want power without the cost. You see, God help us to choose Paul's way because Paul's way was actually God's way. And the road that leads us to heaven, that route of faithfulness that leads us to heaven, it's the way of crucifixion with Christ. 
You want to be faithful, it's the way of crucifixion with Christ. If you want to be faithful. What did Paul go through? He went through everything that God had gone through. And he's teaching us here, the Christian walk is not always going to be glamorous. Oh man, they, you know, that church may make me feel good. That, that message doesn't really, that convicts me too much. It's not a, denying of self, it, it always convicts you to the core of self. And that, that's such a healthy thing for the Christian believer because the Holy Spirit is speaking to us so that we become changed in shape more like Jesus Christ. Yes, we want the crown, we want the rewards of the crown, but do you want the cross? You can't have the crown without having the cross. And having the cross means I'm going to deny myself. And I'm willing to do anything for Christ's sake. I'm fully committed. I'm fully invested. I'm fully committed. I'm fully invested. I'll give everything. I'll give my time. We will give our resources. We will give our now treasures to the Lord. We will serve the Lord. And sometimes here he's telling us, the church, you guys are living now, the Corinth church, we're living in such a way that's convenient. That, that's comfortable. That's comfortable. We expect spiritual growth and results. And we're never going to get those spiritual growth and results by being comfortable and, and, and looking at convenience. It's always calling before comfort. It's always calling over career. Think about that. Understand that, please. You can't just be okay with being an average Christian. And he's telling them, stop trying to be an average Christian. What, what, you know, what's so good about being average? You never learn God's will. You're never able to live in the abundant life that God's called you to be in. And it's sad because we learned that the Corinth church was just using God when they wanted Him. You can't use God like He's a spare tire, so to speak, of your life. You know how we use a spare tire? When do you use a spare tire in your life? When you have an emergency, right? Then you, you go to that spare tire, man. That spare tire is nice and pumped up in my trunk. I'm going to get that spare tire right now and put it, I have an emergency right now, and, and set that spare tire right there when I get a flat in life. But then after I got, you know, that new tire and everything's well and set in my life, I'll go ahead and put that spare in the back because I don't need it right now. I only need it and I forget about it. I only need it when it's an emergency. You see, he's teaching us here to put Jesus first no matter what. It's, it's, it's a shame and it's a, it's a convicting thing to know that, that sometimes... We put Jesus second instead of putting Him first. Today, let's choose to put Him first and say, Lord, I, I want to I decrease so that You can increase. I want to be found faithful, whatever that means. Whatever that means, whatever it costs me, I want to be found faithful. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank You. And we ask, Lord, that we would be stewards, servants, that we would be found faithful, whatever that looks like in our lives. And that we would not look, Lord, to be approved by the world's standards. The world would say, well, what a failure. The world would say, what a, what, a, what a reject. The world would say, what a loser. The world would say, what a fool. But Lord, we'd rather be fools in the eyes of the world so that we can be wise in your eyes. And there's anybody here right now that would say, I, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior because I want to be found faithful to what He's called me to do. I don't want to be found complaining. I don't want to be found unfaithful. I don't want to be found lying. I don't want to be found living a life of an average Christian. I want to be found faithful. I don't want to just do the minimum to get by as a Christian. I don't want to do the minimum to get by as a Christian. That's not the way I do things when I love things. I want to do things 
being faithful to the end in the cross. And you, you want to say, I just need the Lord's strength for faithfulness today. I would, I would pray that you would raise your hand right now. Just raise your hand right there where you are because I want to pray for you. Amen. I see your hand. Praise God. I see your hand. Who cares about what people think? We just talked about that today. Praise the Lord. It doesn't matter what people think. That does not matter. What does God say about you? He's looking straight into your heart right now. Do you know that? That He knows what you're thinking? He knows the thoughts that are going through your mind at this very moment. But He's making Himself available for you. And Lord, we ask for those that have raised their hand, God, that you would just give them the strength to put you first. That we would be lovers of God and lovers of your word. And that when you, Lord, allow us to come to eternity, that we would be found faithful in the eyes of you, Lord, and not the eyes of this world.